Thanks again. <laughs> um, good morning. This morning I have Imran Mahmood with me. Good morning. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Imran Mahmood, as, as you've said. I'm, a, um, I'm, I'm an author. I've just uh, uh, had my second book published, which is I Know What I Saw. My uh, debut was um, You Don't Know Me. And that's my uh, kind of nighttime job, my day job. Um, I'm a barrister. Uh, have you always wanted to be a writer? Um, not really. I've, I, I always wanted to be a lawyer when I was when I was younger, and uh, then in the course of being a lawyer, particularly a trial lawyer doing jury trials in front of juries, I found that I spent quite a lot of time um, in the job telling a story of one kind or another. You know, either they were a way of putting the uh, criminal case into context or a way of, kind of telling a defendant's story to the jury rather than doing it in, in terms of blocks of facts or you know, blocks of law. It's just often easier to tell, to tell the jury a story. And so I found myself telling stories right, right from the beginning in a way, uh, but not really writing them down. And what made you take the plunge and go for it? Uh, well, one day I was um, writing a speech in a murder case and uh, the, I had a very bright defendant and as I was thinking about what to say, it just occurred to me that um, how I tell the story, the, the words that I use, the way that I um, explain, you know, how he find, found himself in the dock and how he found himself in the middle of all this evidence. The way I did it was always going to be different from the way that he was going to do it if, if he were ever made to do the speech himself. And I thought, well, what would it sound like if there was a speech from a defendant where he was telling his story himself rather than me telling it for him? Um, and then, so anyway, so while I was waiting um, in that case, I decided to, I was kind of flirting with the idea of what he would say, and I started writing it. And before I before I knew it, the, um, that first novel, You Don't Know Me, was kind of writing itself. Um, it was, you know, obviously different from the way I would do a speech, concentrating on things which, are, you know, in my head would be more important to, a, a, you know, a person who's, who's not a lawyer compared with, you know, a person who's, you know, whose job is to look at it legally. And so, yeah, so that's how it started. Um, and I was just filling up time, really. When you're in the Crown Court, you can either... You know, pick up a book and read a book, um, or you can prepare your next case. But you know, that's always, you know, that's always quite hard work when you're, you know, tense waiting for a verdict. And so, what I did was I started to write, and then if I, when I was on a train on my way to a far-flung courtroom, I'd write. Or if I was, you know, waiting for a jury or waiting to get on the court. And are you surprised by um, how well it's been received? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the um, yeah, yeah. Both books. Yeah, what, yeah. I have been surprised. I'm always surprised. Um, you know, that anyone reads it because you know it's it, you know it starts off life just as a kind of a, a tiny seed in my head, and then it, you know it, it goes down line by line into onto the page 
And even you know, as you're writing it, you don't really fully expect that people will be reading it. Um, I think, because if you did, I think the terror would overtake you if you knew that a thousand people were going to read something that you wrote. I don't think you'd ever, <laughs> you'd ever send it out. So, um, yeah, I am surprised um, by the reaction it received. Uh, and what I'm really surprised about is um, you, you don't know it was made, has just been made into TV, four-part TV drama. Um, that was a sh real shock, uh, particularly the longer I've kind of been in the industry. I realised how hard it is to get something. I mean, a lot of things get optioned for TV, but very few get made. And I think I was just very, very lucky because all, all of the moving parts were moving in the same direction at the right, right time. And yeah, I was really lucky. And, and, and I still kind of kick myself about that, that it's going to be on the BBC or on Netflix. You know, and it, as I say, it started off as like it's just something in my head in a courtroom one day while I was waiting. And uh, do your fellow colleagues know that you've written the book and have they read it? Yeah, 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 they all do. Um, um, partly because you can't really avoid them knowing because of the whole publicity train. It just gets... It, you know, it just gets out there and, you know, what people are like, once they, once one person knows, they tell another person, they'll, <laughs> they'll tell somebody else. Um, or, you know, somebody will pick up a paper and say, oh, I've just read the Times and I saw that your book was in it. Or what, one of the things that happened was I was, um, I was picked, lucky enough to be picked for Simon Mayo's book club. And because he, he yeah, on, on radio too, because it had such a wide reach, when um, when that was aired, I got, got a lot of people calling me. So you know, people I hadn't spoken to in years who said, "Oh, I just, just listened to Radio Two, and I, I think I heard your voice on it." <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, that was me." And then uh, recently, I was um, on Clive Anderson's show on um, Radio Four, Loose Ends, and again, when that when that was out, I had people calling me saying, "Oh, I just you know, driving to wherever, and I stick stuck the radio on, and I heard you." So. Yeah, you can't really avoid it, and you know my name's all over the book. But I haven't, I haven't used a pen name. Um, so yeah, yeah, most people do know now. What was uh, more terrifying, releasing the book or doing a big court case? Um, the court cases don't aren't really terrifying anymore. Uh, not really. But I've been doing it a long time. I've been doing it for nearly three, for about three decades. I've been doing it for 30 years. Um, you know, there are days when, you know, some courts can be you know, frightening, particularly if you're in the Court of Appeal or, you know, like a, a very high-ranking court with high-ranking judges who are, you know, whose minds are pretty high-ranking as well. You know, that can be quite frightening. But it's a different kind of fear. The, the fear of having your book out is, is uh, <laughs> I suppose, it's a bit more long-lasting because once your material's out there, it's out there, and it, you can't un unsay it. You, you can't really be deleted that easily. Whereas you can make a mistake in a court um, or say the wrong thing or wish you'd said something different, and you know, by the end of the day or the week, you know that'll be forgotten. Um, 
yeah with a book <laughs> it's different although having said that by the time the book is out it's already been through the mill a bit because um the agents you know given her advice about it and said what she changed or amended and then the publishers will have their editors it's already had quite a lot of stress tested by them i don't I suppose you know if it was terrible, they wouldn't um, they wouldn't release it. And go out. There. I think they'd just cut their losses and say, "Well, we it's not good enough to go out." There. Um, so yeah, so to that extent, you know that removes some of the fear. And then when you get your first couple of reviews from people who you respect, and if they like it, then that can be a huge um, comfort. And um, did you find it more difficult than you expected, um, especially with all the editing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very difficult. I mean, I, I mean, I was just so naive when I when I kind of entered the whole book thing. Because what I thought when you read it, what you think anyway was that you. You write the book, you give it to them, whoever they are, and they publish it. Um, they do anything that they want to They bring it up to scratch, they put it in shape. And then you, everybody goes away. That's what I thought, but that, that obviously is not what happened. What really happened is, in my case, my agent, WhatsApp, message privately. Long structure for it, and line it, and would go through with the brains. So that was one thing. That was one process that took a year, and then um, it goes to the um, publishers. Their editor does a line edit and the structural edit. So they go through it line by line. But then after that's done, and there might be two or three rounds of edits, then it has to go through um, copy edit, proof edit, so all these layers of editing. And then once it's once even once it's published, yeah, and it's a pleasure to do that. But it's all a part of the process, and then. You know, what, one thing I didn't realise is that once you've written what you really want you to write another, they, they assume that you will. It's not, it's not. That's why I thought, again, in my naivety, that you'd, I sold one book and that would be the end of it. If I wanted to sell another one, I'd have to start kind of from scratch. And, and I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have thought about doing it had the expectation not already been there that, that there would be another one. Just expect that's on your mind. Yeah, maybe. One second. Is that better? <laughs> That's much better. 
Yes, yes, our radio. Oh, it's <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't realise it was quite so loud. Um, yeah, I was just wondering why picked up on the video. Yeah, usually you can't hear it actually, but um, yeah, it's quite loud today. Um, so now you've written two. Do you have the bug, and are you going to carry on writing? Yeah, well, I've, I've um, just handed in the third one, um, the, the first draft of the third one. So um, we're just um, going to be working on the edits to that. That's probably going to take a few months. And I've started uh, writing the one after that because, um, again, you know, this is you know, a lot of this is luck. And, you know, I'm always thrilled about having good luck because it doesn't always, <laughs> it's not always good luck. But um, after I know what I saw, my, my, uh, publishers, Raven Bloomsbury, uh, then offered me an, a, a two a two book deal. So offered me another two books, and so that's those are the ones I've just I've just written the, the first of those two, and um, just started the second of those two. Yes. <laughs> uh, would you consider writing any other genres, or would do you like writing what you know? Um. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I've, again, genre wasn't really a thing that I was, as a reader, that I was fully conscious of. Uh, I never went into a bookshop and thought, what what kind of genre of literature am I going to buy? I usually just, you know, flicked through, you know, went, kind of had a browse on the table, see what was there, see what looked good. And I would buy whatever, you know, whatever seemed good you know one day I would buy the number one ladies detective agency the next day I'd buy the new Donna Tartt or the next day um you know it'd be a book about you know it might be a kind of gothic literature literary horror it could be anything so I wasn't really as aware of um, genre until um I wrote you don't know me because what happened with that was that they Publishers, when it went when it went out, first of all, the publishers were were all saying we don't really know what to do with it. We don't know where to put it, and I didn't I didn't really understand what they meant by that. But what they meant was, it's not really crime fiction, and it's not really um, literary fiction, and it's not really true crime fiction. We don't know where where to put it, and what they mean by that is we don't know where. We don't know how to sell it to the distributors so that they know how to sell it to the readers because they like to sell things so that there are quite clear lines so they can say, oh, here are all our crime thrillers and here are all our literary, so that they know where to put it on the shelf. And it just hadn't occurred to me that that was a thing. Um, and I still don't really think of the, the, the books in, in terms of being you know in the crime genre I think it it just about is because there is a crime in it um but you know it it could be anything um yeah so yeah I'm uh, you know I'd be more than happy to kind of flip between genres if that was you know if, if the next book idea was you know didn't fit the crime genre that wouldn't really stop me from doing it I think and do you have any um, sort of preferences or any wishes to write any particular books? 
No, 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 just, it's usually the stories. Um, so, so whatever the story is that's in, in my head that I want to get down, that's really what I'm after. Um, I want to tell, tell the story in the best way I can. And if, and if the right format for that is a crime book, then I'll do it in a crime book. Um, or, you know, if the right way of telling it is, is through you know, literary fiction, then, it, then I'll, I'll explore that way of telling the story. But, but I, you know, I think the story is, for me, the most important thing you know what what is the thing that you're trying to get across and you know what's the best format for it <laughs> yeah yeah it's only these uh publishers that want to put it in a category isn't it they do like their genres I've yeah yeah and, yeah and that's as i say this and that's as much to do with the you know the booksellers as anything else because they yeah ultimately they've got to put it on a shelf and they've got to put it on the right shelf so that the person who comes in and wants <laughs> that kind of book knows where to look for it. So yeah, I, 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 you know, I understand that there's a commercial reality here and you know, there are, that these are, you know, this is just part of life. So we just, you know, we just got to get on with it in a way. Um, have you made lots of author friends? Yeah, yeah, loads, loads. And, you know, the community is really good, I think. Um, on the whole, you know, friendly and supportive. And, you know, maybe because most of the writers I know are crime writers, they, uh, maybe they get all of the dark stuff out on the page and they save, they, they save their fluffy bits um, for socialising. But they've all, you know, on the whole, they, you know, they're charming and clever and, you know, great fun to be around and do you get a lot of feedback from readers um <laughs> we get reviews <laughs> it's always not it's, I mean, it's always lovely to get reviews. um and you know um ultimately you and in fact twitter twitter is quite a good medium for getting feedback and again on the whole people who give you feedback especially on Twitter, will you know, we'll only do it if it's positive. So that's really nice. It's quite nice to be in that space where you're getting positive feedback from people that you don't know who've read your book. Uh, again, it's always a surprise to know that somebody's read your book. And you know, even more of a surprise for me still when they like it or claim to like it, which is good enough. <laughs> I'll take that. Take it. Okay, that's enough. Because um, uh, I had a, a lady called Leslie Lloyd that was like, you have to get this guy. You have to interview him. I love his books and you really need to talk to him. So even, um, yeah. That's, that's really kind of, as I say, I'm always touched to hear things like that. Just uh, say, so, you know, I'm not saying, in a way, I'm not a career writer like, you know, like Lee Child, who's, who, who's been writing for 30 years and has, you know, from what I can tell, 100 books. Um, I, I feel like a complete novice in a way. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's always a delight to, to hear. Yeah, she, she wanted me specifically to tell you that she loved the gunshot fast pace 
Um, and uh, I can't remember what else she said, how different it was as well. And she's quite a harsh critic. Um, her five stars are golden because she's uh, very strict with her ratings. So, yeah, she wanted me to make sure that I told you. Oh, well, that, that's so kind of her. Um, I'm assuming she was talking about you don't know me because the, the other one, the pace is different. And um, I know what I saw, it's a bit more considered. But that's, you know, it's, it's such a lovely thing to hear. And, you know, uh, well, you can tell her that um, it's coming on TV soon. So <laughs> yeah, it's been oh, shot. Sure. Yeah, it's sure been shot. And, uh, <laughs> we think it's going to be sometime next year now, but we don't know for sure. They never tell us for sure. Okay. <laughs> Are you very involved in the process or have you just handed it over and let them do what they want? Um, well, there's a limited amount that you can do if you're, unless you're writing the screenplay. But, you know, I, I, I was there as a, uh, so as a consultant on some of the kind of technical aspects. And, and you know, the, so I had, a, we had a really great director, um, Sam Masood, who's directing it and he would often phone me and say look I've got this quick question can I ask you it um or um these screenwriters Tom Edge who you know from The Crown and The Cuckoo's Calling and all oh, it's kind of hundreds of things <laughs> he's just so prolific but even you know even he would call send me in a message and say look do you think this scene works because it's because it had a legal element in it? And so I was help with that. And, and they took me along um, to the set to have a look at it and to see it being filmed. And that was you know, that was amazing, really yeah, surreal. But um, yeah, so I've had some involvement, but uh, and probably as much as um, I, that's probably as much as I could expect. Um, and so you know, I'm, I, was, I was very happy with that. Yeah, I bet. And um, what's been your high point so far, your favourite moment as being a writer, if you can pick one out? I think um, being in, well, I see, there are a couple. So, so doing the, the, the big radio stuff like Clive Anderson's or Simon Mayer or you know, that kind of stuff for Williams and Radio 5 Live when he was there and you know, he's... I, I um, was on his show recently and he's, he's moved to a different station but you know, those things are really nice to do um, or you know things like being invited onto a, a, you know a, onto set you know something I would never see um, in my ordinary life I wouldn't be able to go to these huge studios and watch you know 200 people putting together a drama and you know you go there and you meet costume and set designers and the directors and lighting crew, all of that, you, you meet all the, and the actors. And yeah, it's extraordinary. But you know, every part of it's been great. Um, there's so many the high points. I listened to um, Adam Deacon recording the audio for You Don't Know Me. And you know, even that, you know, just to go along and sit there and watch him, listen to him recording the audio from a small booth and just watching process. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary. And what's your biggest dream? 
you've achieved some of what a lot of authors want so <laughs> what's your biggest um biggest goal oh i think um just to be read i mean i've i've always thought that having or being there's a there's an inevitable and certain amount of I think vanity involved in writing because what you, you're really saying is um, I've written this thing and I want everyone to read it, which is a bit like saying I'm saying this thing and I want everyone to listen. And you know that you can't escape that you know, the, the fact that there is a kind of vanity in that, um, or you know just showing off. But there's. Um, it, yeah, if, if I could, if I could put it in those terms of having a dream, I would say, yeah, just for people to keep reading and wanting to read the next book. That's the, that's the main thing, because they're, they're you know they're hard work. They take hours. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it sometimes when you, you know, when you see the finished article, but when you're writing it. I mean, writing a hundred thousand words is it's a long old slog. And, you know, most people, I've, I've met a lot of people who've said, oh, I'd quite like to write a book, or I've started to write a book, or friends and family have said, oh, you have a read of this, and, and I would read it. And it's all, you know, quite often it's great. But I've always said it's not, um, it's not the starting book, which is the hard thing. And it's not even doing the first 10,000 or first 20, the first 20,000 words will be, will fly off the page. It's the rest of it. It's getting the whole of the thing done, which is hard. And then, you know, some of that is a slog and it, you know, it takes it out of you. Um, and if you want to try and do 500 words a day and you're doing 100,000 words, you've got to think about, you know, that's 2,000 days of work oh yeah once you've edited it and reread it and gone over the same page again <laughs> it's a lot you know it's a lot of time um i've done the math strong but it's a <laughs> it's a lot of days <laughs> <laughs> uh, um yeah 200 days rather than what i said two thousand. yeah so it's which is you know which is a year of of um just sitting there and kind of choosing words and getting them down and making sure that they all make sense. And so, yeah, so having it read is, you know, ultimately the, the only thing that matters when you've put that much effort. Which is why sometimes it annoys me when you, sometimes I read people's reviews and it says things like, um, I didn't like the cover, so I didn't finish reading it or I didn't like the first five pages so I haven't read it one star and that or they you know or they'll make some other comment and I think or sometimes it's this book arrived and it was creased one star and I think you know somebody spent a year writing that somebody spent a year of their lives writing that and the condition that it arrives in to your door has got nothing to do with that writer but you've given them a one star review which is going to completely destroy their algorithm in terms of you know who, who gets to see that the book is even on sale, um, 
and, and I think that all you know, people will complain about a book and say, oh, I, you know, I don't really like it, which is fair. You know, not everybody can like the same thing. But on the other side of that, it's, I think it's always worth remembering that if you buy, particularly if you're buying Kindle books, you can buy a Kindle book for 99 pence or £1.99 if it's on offer, you know, less. And so for the price of, you know, a packet of crisps, you've got somebody's kind of two years worth of their work. Um, and, you know, bear that in mind before you do your one <laughs> review. Uh, that's all I'm saying. You know, it's a lot of entertainment to get out of someone for a pound. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. It's um, it's something that we have a lot of conversations about. And um, yeah, I just can't get over the the one star reviews for nothing. <laughs> um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, uh... Well, if there was, if there was a, um, a, there's a couple of the kind of huge um, poets that I don't know whether you could really count them as authors, um, but there's you know people like Jalal in Rumi, or I mean Omar Khayyam's quite a good one because uh, he wrote he, he wrote what's known as the Rabaites, and they are kind of kind of what they call quatrains, so they're in kind of long paragraphs of four lines, and he is a he was kind of a, an extraordinary guy. He was, he lived, you know, have long ago. Yeah. I think he was born in something like 1048 or something. It was a, it was a long wow. time ago. And his stuff survived um, a thousand years. And he was, um, you know, he was, he was a polymath. So he could do he was an expert in maths. He, could, he was interested and knew a lot about astronomy and philosophy, and, as well as being a poet. And he was all of these things at once. And he, you know, was an extraordinary guy. And uh, yeah, it'd be quite nice to spend the day with someone, someone like him, who, you know, whose words have survived the ages. Because that's. To have literature survive is quite hard, um, because if because you know civilizations go through these cataclysmic events where things disappear, like whole civilizations go, and the ancient Greeks are gone, and the ancient Egyptians are gone, and that whole civilization, everything that they carried with them, is gone except for what survived, what few things survived. When you're talking about kind of scientific achievements, you can destroy those in a way because the next generation of people will turn up and they'll do the same calculations or similar calculations and they'll end up with the same kind of conclusions, kind of mathematically or in terms of physics. And you can get the same, you can get the same truths again, even if you've lost everything from a thousand years ago. The, you know, trigonometry will come back after the Egyptians have disappeared. But you can't really do that with literature. 
Um, and so once a poem's gone, it's gone. Um, you know, you can't recreate that. So I think there is something kind of magical about some literature, which you know, probably makes the people who you know, come up with it, you know, for me, a bit more unique. So yeah, yeah, somebody like him. I'll say Omar Khayyam. And um, who, are there any authors you would really be overawed to meet um, now you'd fanboy over? <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great question because where do you start? Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, you, I'd start with J.K. Rowling and say, and I could, you, you could end with J.K. Rowling. She was, in a way, extraordinary because not just her reach, I mean, she, like she's reached everyone, but it's different from the kind of reach of someone like, let's say, Dan Brown, who also reached everyone. And I think the difference is that Joe Rowling's managed to speak to you know, seven-year-olds and 90-year-olds and held and across the world. And you know, she did it in a way which held kind of magnetically held her attention, not just over the course of a book, but over the course of repeated books. And there was a kind of fever, I think, that came with her books, which has never, I, I don't think it's ever existed in the past in the same way. And I doubt whether it'll be easily repeated. Um, yeah, of course, there are literary greats like Shakespeare who are, you know. But, um, but, di but I'm not sure that even Shakespeare had the same, you know, for lots of different reasons. I mean, sh sh Shakespeare still reaches out and, you know, reaches people in a different way. Um, and, you know, across the centuries, which definitely does say something. <laughs> um, but I don't know, there's something about what J.K. Rowling can do, I think is, you know, I think it's extraordinary. I've, I've not met many people who didn't like the Harry Potter. You know, I've met a couple of people who, who it, it seems are determined not to like it and won't read it. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's not good enough. But yeah, I, I, I think it's extraordinary. You can, if you can move a seven-year-old and a 90-year-old with the same words. Yeah, I think that's something else. Yeah, I was um, one of those people that queued at midnight to get, I think, the last book. And I was uh, in my early 20s at the time and I didn't care. I was going to get it and I wanted to read it. So, yeah, that is something. I've never done that before or since, so... Yeah, she did something amazing. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, what do you like to do when you're not working and you're not writing? If you actually get any free time? <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got two kids, so I don't have much <laughs> free time. But whatever I do, you know, I, you know, it's nice to spend with the family. Um, I used to do stuff when I was, you know, 
I'm going to say PC, pre-children. I used to paint or, you know, I used to do woodwork or, um, you know, I used to play the guitar. There were loads of things that I, you know, I would do, but, you know, I, I just don't have time to do it anymore. So, yeah, if I could go on holiday, that'd be nice. It'd be nice to go on holiday again. It's been a while. Anywhere in particular? Oh, somewhere hot. Anywhere hot. Oman. I really like going to Oman. Um, you know, the weather's very dependable. It's <laughs> great. Well, we're supposed to be getting a heat wave in the UK in the next couple of weeks, so who needs holidays abroad? <laughs> yeah, just make sure I fill my swimming pool and uh, pay the staff to bring me to bring me um, <laughs> small plates of food all day. Isn't that what children are for? <laughs> Especially they're on school holidays. <laughs> yeah, mine are too small for that, sadly. And one of them's one. So <laughs> oh, yeah, not quite yet then. <laughs> yeah, not quite train that one up yet. <laughs> well, you could start early. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> try. Try. <laughs> Um, if you're able to travel to any period in history, either forward or back, where would you like to go to? I think I'd go forward um, maybe a hundred years just to see where we are. I've got faith that we're still, a, we're still around in a hundred years, but no, to human civilization really hasn't been around long at all. We, th we like to think we've all, always been here, but you know, you know, dinosaurs were around for millions of years and we haven't been around for millions of years. We've been around for, you know, a blip. <laughs> In fact, I think mosquitoes have been around for 200 million years. Yes, yeah, so that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where we are on the scale of um, existence. But yeah, I, I, I have some hope that we survive at least another hundred see what, what we did. Yeah, okay. Next, Apple iPhone 57 or whatever it would be by then. Um, yeah, just to see. Fan of technology. Probably wouldn't be a physical thing, would it? It would be wearing things on our arms and using our mind to control devices and call people and God knows. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. Or, or yeah, we might be part robot by then, so. Might not yeah. even a device, probably do it through a robotic arm. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, if you were stranded on a desert island, what three things would you want with you? Um, can I have people? Yeah, you can have what you want. I'm not yeah. going to literally strand you on an island, so... Yeah, so then I'll have those... I'll have, I'll have my family. I'll have, <laughs> have my, and my wife and my kids. They're three people. Um, yeah, that would do. That's it. No laptop or anything to write. You would just completely just chill yeah. on an island. I mean, if I have to trade one of them in for a laptop, that's, that's not, that's not going to cover me in glory, is it? But if I could have <laughs> kind of on top of that, if I could have other things, yeah, it'd be nice to have... Yeah, it'd be nice to have a phone because if you've got a phone, you've got you know, every book under the sun, every bit of music under the sun, every bit of film and TV and stores of knowledge. Yeah, you could 
you can't be bored if you've got a phone in your hand. How, how can you possibly be bored? It's got the sum of human knowledge in it. <laughs> and it's the thing <laughs> which you can fit in your palm and every bit of entertainment you, you can ever want. Yeah, a phone. Yeah, that's cool. Someone um, once answered that they were going to put a hotel, which I thought was quite a cool answer because that solves so many problems. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure where you could count a hotel as one thing unless, you know, it's empty. Because then you've got to have staff and you've got to have caterers and beds and furniture and pools and water. You know, that, I, oh, yeah, I think that's cheating. You may as well just say, um, the one thing I'll have with me is New York. <laughs> New York. And yeah, that'll do. I don't feel that <laughs> I don't feel that lonely. <laughs> he just wanted the sofa. That was it. A hotel and a sofa. So the sofa's definitely not bad, not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't fancy sleeping on a floor of an island. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um if there was any, if you were able to be a character in any book in history, what would you like to be? What book would you choose? Um, well, I, yeah, well, I, I think I'll go back to Harry Potter and say, that, yeah, I could be a, I could happily be a kind of wizard. Yeah, that could be quite fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, definitely. That would be my choice as well. And do you, what, uh, do you know what house you would be in? Oh, um, <laughs> let me see. Gryffindor is a, is a popular choice. Um, yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'll go for Gryffindor. It's got a nice and sounding name. <laughs> um, so you said that you're, that you've, Finish book three and you're working on book four and then do you know what's coming after that um hopefully five i mean <laughs> i don't know um i'm doing i'm you know I'm, I'm writing some screenplays at the moment so that's kind of going on as kind of in between everything um yeah just you know just as long as i'm keeping busy and i'm doing something then you know i'm happy Awesome. Nice. <laughs> um, I mean, do you sleep? <laughs> I don't know how you have time to do all this Not, stuff. I, I don't sleep that much, um, mainly because of the kids. They're determined to wake us up at all hours, um, you know, at two o'clock or three o'clock. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, sleep isn't a thing that we have in our house. Um, yeah, I could take that to the desert island, actually, some sleep. That would be good. <laughs> thing they would take <laughs> or you could leave your kids behind and then it would just come naturally <laughs> yeah but then you just worry about them you <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah bless them <laughs> <laughs> um, well i don't think i have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything i haven't asked you that you want to tell us about no i think you've asked me more questions than anyone i've had interviewing me so far so that's uh, that's brilliant good stuff <laughs> i like to really put you under the spotlight and make sure i get every bit of information from you yeah no you've, you've definitely done that you've definitely done that good i've succeeded in my goal <laughs>
Um, so before we go, would you just like to remind everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can buy your books? So I've got a presence um, on Twitter only because I was made to. And so I had to try and learn how to use it. So Twitter's <laughs> the best place to find me. I'm always lurking around in that. Um, and then I know what I saw um, is out in hardback in just wherever you buy your books, Waterstones um, has them or your local indie. Indies are global. Um, Goldsborough Books, also another great bookshop. Um, online, of course. Um, yeah, and uh, You Don't Know Me coming to our screens shortly. Uh, BBC I, One, I think, and Netflix. Awesome. I look forward to that. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much.